Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim in the name of Allah the most gracious ever merciful peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all uh, good morning welcome to another edition of the breakfast show it is wednesday the 13th of december here in the voice of islam studio at the Bethel Fatou Mosque, the House of Victories, the largest mosque in Western Europe. As always, it is a pleasure here to present at the Voice of Islam. Uh, you are joined here by myself, uh, your usual Wednesday presenter, Muhammad Attar, and brother uh, Abdul Halim. How are you do- doing this morning, brother? I'm doing very well and uh, just a chilly start as always. Um, yeah. Yeah. Everything but the weather, you know, it's not too bad nowadays. Like, Not too. It, it, today, it, today. Yeah, today. Today. <laughs> today. Let, uh, let's be fair. About today. Yeah. Yesterday, in my area um, where where I work, yeah. there was lots of thunder and lightning. Yeah, yeah yesterday, even when yeah. we were in, in the office, yeah. everyone everyone were was mm. kind of shocked mm. at the sound of it because it was very very loud. And uh, apparently, there was a <clears throat> I saw a video. There was a storm in Israel as well, Israel and Palestine as well. Is like, it? Yeah, around the same time. Yeah, I don't know, but but it was yesterday reported yesterday. Yeah. So yeah. It was, Pretty pretty strong storm yeah. going on over there. Uh, we will be discussing that, uh, um, you know, that sort of uh, thing later on. Uh, we do have an interesting uh, show as always. You know, we've got some interesting topics with uh, some interesting guests that we'll be speaking to. For the first segment, we'll be discussing the importance of civilian life. And for the second segment, we will be discussing... <coughs> excuse me. Uh, winter hits hard, difficult for homeless and rough sleepers. Uh, before we get into anything, we will be talking about the weather and the news. Um, just before that, we will be taking a very short break and then getting into things. As always, this is a live show. You know, you could call us in at any time at 0286877878 or you can tweet us at The Voice of Islam UK. So please don't go anywhere and do join us after a very short break. عن عمرو بن شعيب رضي الله عنه عن أبيه عن جده قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إن الله يحب أن يرى أثر نعمته على عبده It is narrated by Hazrat Amr bin Shuhayb رضي الله عنه from his father from his grandfather who reported the Holy Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم stated Indeed Allah loves to see the results of his favors upon his servant. Rahim, in the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Welcome back to the breakfast show, uh, dear listener. We will now be uh, discussing the weather and the news. So um, in terms of the weather, uh, what um, the <coughs> BBC, uh, BBC office, uh, BBC weather office says is that today the southeast will remain mostly cloudy with scattered showers turning dry and brighter elsewhere, but clouding over in Northern Ireland and West Scotland with some rain by evening here. Tonight, a band of rain will progress eastwards across northern and western areas, this falling as snow initially on some of the northern hills, turning dry and clearer for for a time in the east. Tomorrow, the band of cloud will reach the east and the south, but the rain will be very patchy here. Behind it, a mix of bright spells and scattered blustery showers, mainly in the northwest. And the outlook for Friday to Sunday is that Friday will be dry and bright to start in the south, but cloudier in the west later, cloudier and breezy in the north with rain in the northwest, mostly cloudy and breezy on Saturday with rain in western Scotland and some patchy drizzle further south. 
just a few brighter breaks in south and east. Sunday may bring spells of rain in the north, but staying dry in the south. So mostly, you know, it's looking like the typical dreary uh, winter weather of the yeah. UK. Uh, as you know, we are in winter. We will be discussing the weather later on as well. Speaking about the winter blues and, uh, you know, sad, the seasonal affective disorder that yeah. does occur when winter comes around as the days are shorter, the days are darker, the weather is uh, not, you know, or not on your side, not your best friend at the moment. Yeah. Uh, and that, you know, does affect our moods as well. Definitely. I think it <laughs> it affects everyone's mood. If, it, yeah. if if the sun's out and it's a hot weather, everyone's mm. cheery and... Um, just you can see smiles on their faces. Yeah, <clears throat> but when the when the days are dark and short and mm. cold, mm. everyone's got a different aura about them. Yeah, you know? definitely. And then you know some of us might also be lacking in vitamin D. So you know <laughs> do make sure to get that checked that you're not you don't have especially you know uh, um, people like South Asian people especially. You know mm. that when they come here they they're very low on their vitamin D because they're really used to the sun. Isn't yeah. It? So, yeah. and our bodies, you know, we can't, like, obviously we can't produce it without, you know, taking the right supplements. Uh, or unless, if there's no sun, then we can't do anything about it unless we take, you know, vitamin D vitamins, tablets or yeah. uh, have foods that have high vitamin D, basically. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Uh, so in other news, uh, there's been a death on one of the barges uh, housing migrants and refugees yeah. uh, in the... Um, um, <clears throat> on one of the, it's it's, it's like it's like a it's a, ship, uh, right? a boat, yeah. But like it's it's floating and it's got like flats on yeah, it. Yeah, houses houses yeah. immigrants, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so there's been a death uh, on there. What was the cause of the um, death? I'm not. It doesn't you know specify what the cause of death was, mm-hmm. but uh, you know it's just an unfortunate incident that has happened, mm-hmm. and um, you know. Uh, M- moving along to a s- similar topic, yeah. um, three teenagers hmm. were killed in a car crash hmm. in uh, um, Wales, I believe. So families of three teenagers killed in a crash between a bus and hmm. an Audi A1 um, have paid tribute to them. Oh, wow. um, it was um, a 19-year-old, 18-year-old, hmm. um, all died on the scene in Coedley. Um, seven GMT mm. on Monday. Mr. Owen's family said his presence would light up any room, while Mrs. Smith's family said they had been left with a void that can never be filled. Our thoughts and prayers, you know, yeah. go out to the to the families of the lost ones, um, and you know, may may they find solace. Yeah. Um, so in 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 other news, you know, there's uh, there's been another. You know, um, like um, a vote uh, for for the Gaza ceasefire, yeah, the and the uh, UN uh, General Assembly, you know, votes overwhelmingly in favour yeah. for Gaza ceasefire. And there's only been about like ten countries <coughs> that said no, yeah. and uh, twenty three twenty three that yeah. have abstained, including the UK. <coughs> yeah, and uh, obviously, you know, the US uh, said uh, no as well. They were like the leading country yeah, that course. said no. They vetoed the ceasefire uh, a couple they, of days ago. Yeah, a couple of days ago, they also vetoed the ceasefire. Yeah. And, you know, this is such a abusive, uh, strange power, you know, veto. Exactly, we just talked about this earlier, yeah. Uh, just one country can, yeah. you know, um, 
what's what's even the point of having the vote exactly. then they they should they should then ask first is anyone going to veto exactly. this and just not do yeah. the vote at all right because this is a waste of time yeah so it's so it's going to go through everyone exactly. and then at the end if a yeah. pa- pa- the, it's, it's five countries that yeah. are allowed to have a veto and then mm. if one country is going to veto it mm. then all that the yeah. whole proceeding was just for nothing It's, it's just, really strange, yeah, but you know uh, the president um, Joe Biden. Yeah. He's warned, um, you know, Israel that you know if they need to change their attack or uh, they may lose global support. Yeah, he's starting to ch- his yeah. tone has started to change, mm. even though United States did just veto for yeah. a ceasefire. Yeah. But uh, we will see in the coming days mm. how much effect this has actually had on Biden, and if he does change his ways mm. and demands a ceasefire himself. Because United States are the biggest supporters. You know the the, the argument uh, that they use is that um, you know or, or you know Hamas did the attack on October seventh, so this is retaliation. And in war, there's always going to be casualties. Yeah. But what you have to realize is, you know, if you even if you do take that argument on board, let's say you're right, but it's about proportionality. Exactly. It's about proportionality. Um, and if you the, see the figures now, yeah, it's completely disproportionate. Yeah, exactly. And the majority of people that are dying are children, mm. more than seven thousand. They're they're not a part of Hamas, are they? Exactly. And then they're the, not militants; they're the, innocent civilians. Exactly. And then those that are dying in uh, West Bank, mm. where there is no Hamas. Yeah. What about those casualties? Yeah. So it's all just uh, very strange. Mm. and um, horrific times that we're living in so in uh, in an update of the Ukraine Russia war uh, Putin forces unleashed new offensive as UK sends fresh we- weapons to Kiev mm. um you know the um, <clears throat> the UK the US and many other countries have given in terms of uh, aid to Ukraine mm. billions Uh, hundreds of billions of uh, pounds or dollars or whatever you'd like to call it uh, in terms of uh, military, military financial uh, aid um and um you know uh thing is look that they they're being oppressed in the eyes of the west but so are the people of Gaza but no one no one is uh, helping them in that manner yeah um, the outcry that was yeah. for Ukraine We don't see that outcry mm. for Palestine, for yeah. Gaza, yeah. in different parts. In, uh, for example, even FIFA, mm. even the football federation, when the war was taking place in Ukraine, mm. every team, yeah, they were they they were actually demanded mm. to raise the flags of mm. Ukraine on the field. They had signs up yeah. saying um, "Justice for Ukraine." Mm. You had players carrying their flags of mm. Ukraine on the pitch, mm. but now. During this uh, yeah. conflict, yeah. Gaza and Palestine yeah. flags are banned. Yeah, flags are Football banned. players are actually being um, th- their contracts are actually being cancelled mm. if they've raised a voice mm. on Instagram or mm. on other social media platforms. If they've even tweeted something yeah. or uh, celebrities are yes. lo- losing like movie contracts exactly. and stuff as well for speaking up yeah. against. If they speak for Palestine, yeah, there so. were uh, three, you know, young um, teenagers in uh, the US. They were wearing, uh, you know, the um, what's that? Is uh, that Palestinian scarf? Oh, the scarf, yes. Yeah, yes. Uh, there's a name for there's it. There's a name for it, but it slipped, it's completely mind. slipped out my mind as well. Um, and they they were killed mm. by uh, by an extremist. Mm. That's why I'd call him mm. um, by yep. an extremist uh, uh, over there. 
who you know claimed to be pro-Israel, and exactly. he's and then and then uh, they they weren't doing anything. They were just innocent civilians, just going about their day, just wearing a, a no. scarf yeah. that rep- so it represents Palestine. Mm. And 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 you must remember that uh, the news of uh, a six-year-old boy yeah. being killed mm. because he was Palestinian. Yeah, and uh, the landlord of their house mm. had come in and had been disturbed by the news by the me- the media had portrayed uh, against people of Gaza, mm. and he had uh, barged his way into the house and. Uh, murdered a six-year-old boy. Mm. He was a Palestinian because yeah. he he had been given some sort of news which he uh, which was which was against the people mm. of Gaza, mm. which was against the people of Palestine. Exactly, being exactly. brainwashed in a way. Exactly, and that's why I think the media needs to play a, it. It plays a very very big role. Very big role indeed. You know, there's, there's uh, been many you know uh, cases, many reports where <coughs> Israel's you know officials have fed us uh, some news. Which even the BBC have you know reported that you know had to apologize after. had to apologize after that it was false it was news false news yeah exactly yeah whereas there are you know journalists on the ground in Gaza mm. reporting daily and you know there's mm. clear evidence clear cut evidence you know you mm. can't say those photos yeah. were edited or edited yeah because you can't uh, edit <laughs> you can't to that extent. exactly exactly the technology yeah. hasn't advanced yeah. that much. Exactly. Even if you ask AI or even if you you sit down for... Uh, the thing is, it would take hours to edit that much, right? Exactly. And those photos are coming impossible. out by it's the impossible. minute. Yeah, it's impossible. Right? But now, but then we see that, you know, the journalists hmm. in um, Gaza are being targeted. The yeah. journalist from Al Jazeera, hmm. he was killed hmm. because they wanted yeah. um, for them to stop publicizing these kind of atrocities that they are committing on them mm. they didn't they wanted mm. them to be silent yeah. so w- w- one of our uh, you know topics is uh, in regards to this so we'll be discussing that on further as well so uh, in, in another news it is um, you know uh, a man has raped a woman in front of other passengers on the london underground and he's been jailed for nine years uh he's been you know on on like five counts of different um various uh, atrocities acts that he's committed he's been convicted and he's been wow. uh jailed for 9 years and you know there were other passengers like uh, on by as well fortunately they couldn't find any cctv footage so the woman was go- coming back from like a night out or something mm-hmm. she was sleeping and her friends were there as well and he you know he just went on the train and he he raped her and disgusting. You know, it's, yeah, it's disgusting. And if there, you know, if if it was just women, you know, I would understand. Maybe, uh, you know, it might be a bit difficult for them, you know, to, uh, like, uh, I, I, I'm not sure of the situation mm. or what exactly happened. It might be difficult for them to, you know, um, they might be scared in that situation, um, to maybe you know try and stop him or mm. whatever. But if there were other passengers on board. They should have uh, helped. They they should have helped. Yeah. Uh, you know, we don't know the full extent of the story, but mm. uh, maybe, you know, it was That's late shocking. night and maybe it was just them. But, you know, this happening publicly uh, just goes to show, you know, what's really happening. Uh, what uh, people's, you know, I don't understand what really is going mm. through people's mind yeah. in that, you know, in that stage. And now he's, his life is basically nine years in prison. Mm. His life has how been completely derailed. Does, does that? Uh, he's, I'm not sure how old he was, but he's in his like thirties or forties. Mm-hmm. But that's yeah. yeah, that's absolutely shocking. It's just, um, it's not. Yeah, it was at five a.m. in the morning, so I, mm. I doubt there were m- that many, you know, passengers. Mm. 
uh, a French national traveling with uh, his 11 year old son witnessed the attack and reported it to the police. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, it just shows yeah. that, you know, not everything is quite safe mm. out there. Yeah. And if you are quite vulnerable. And also, you know, the, I want to just uh, touch upon the, you know, the Rwanda plan that's being, you know, discussed right <laughs> yeah. now. There's some backlash from, you know, even the Tory MPs yeah. uh, from uh, Rishi Sunak's own party. Uh, in regards to this plan, where there's, uh, you know, even the Supreme Court, you know, they they said it wasn't safe, it wasn't lawful. Mm. Um, there was an investigation into that as well, uh, whether it's really worth it as well. They've, you know, it's costing two hundred ninety million pounds. Oh, is it? Yeah, to to carry it out, and not a single person has been sent yet. And you know, in the, in the bylaws. So I saw a debate of Keir Starmer, you know, questioning that, you know, when they, they're in the House of Commons, they're doing the whole uh, thing. Debate, yeah. The whole debate. And he was saying that, you know, even in the bylaws, uh, like one of the points was that Rwanda, if they want, they can turn the migrants away as well, hmm. even after spending all that money, which is really strange. Hmm. I found that really strange. But, you know, apparently there will be a So if they do send the yeah. immigrants their way, yeah. Rwanda could just say, sorry. Yeah. yeah. And so all that money uh, where, goes where, down. Where's all that money going to? <laughs> and, uh, you know, in terms of uh, what's happening here, that, you know, uh, James Cleverly and, um, you know, Rishi Sunak, they've, they've raised uh, the the minimum salary for... Uh, Immigrants. Uh, for uh, ma- illegal... Legal immigrants. Uh, to sponsor uh, legal any migrants, family members, right? Yeah. To sponsor their family members, um, even care workers as well. Yeah, uh, they they might have an exemption, but you know it will be they will have to you know like kind of apply for it. Yeah, but I you be- know for them to have an exemption that just goes to show the state of the country mm. that they the the key workers they're not earning. But is that 000, is that passed now? That uh, from from next year twenty twenty four it will apply. Mm. So I believe the salary has to be around thirty eight thousand seven hundred. Seven hundred, like yeah. That. For you to sponsor anyone, uh, that's that's a because that's a crazy, that's a crazy jump from eighteen thousand. Yeah, eighteen thousand, which is reasonable. Yeah, but now, so someone you did hard. the maths uh, that according to the minimum wage, which is like ten pound something, hmm. right? If you worked seventy hours a week, nonstop every single week, didn't take a single holiday, hmm. right? Um, even then, you would be short. Hmm. You wouldn't make th- that that much money. You wouldn't make thirty eight thousand. Yeah. You'd, you'd make like 32, 33,000 it's, like just, it's just a way to track crack down on the immigrants for them isn't it now that's they're not that, immigrants they're, they're legal le- migrants legal migrants but yeah. they, that's, that's the thing they do not want yeah. that but many you know, numbers the, the, the surge, coming into the country the surge uh, that w- did happen like during COVID and stuff a lot of Ukrainian families came over here for free yeah. they yeah. were actually paid yeah <laughs> the civilians here yeah. were actually paid for yeah. us to keep them yeah at that time but now we see the tables have exactly, turned. exactly, and you know a lot of people are questioning the leadership in our country, <clears throat> especially you know um, uh, our prime minister Rishi Sunak. He's um, uh, in a lot of interviews. You know they're questioning him as well whether you know because um, he wasn't elected. You know people are calling for a general election. Mm, he was he just elected, um, yeah. voted forward from his party. I think he was um, the only one available at that time. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, so let's hopefully you know um, our country uh, gets on the right path, and uh, hopefully you know we can progress further mm. and um, benefit the citizens of the country, right? Yeah. Because it, true justice. The gov- yeah, because the government is um, supposed to you know serve the citizens, right? Yeah. 
Um, so, dear listeners, you know, we hope you've been enjoying today's show so far. We're going to take a very short break and then we'll be getting into our first segment of the morning. So don't go anywhere and do join us after a very short break. Selections from the writings of the promised Messiah, upon whom be peace, the founder of the Ahmadiyya movement in Islam. Take note how the holy prophet of Islam remained resolute and steadfast in his claim to prophethood from beginning to end in the face of thousands of dangers and a multitude of enemies and threatening opponents. For years on end, he endures such hardship and suffering as increased from day to day, enough to make one despair of success. It is inconceivable for a man with worldly motives to have shown such prolonged endurance and steadfastness. Not only that, by putting forth his claim to prophethood, he even lost the support he had previously enjoyed. The price he had to pay for his one claim was to confront a hundred thousand contentions and invite a multitude of calamities to befall upon his head. He was exiled from his homeland, pursued with intent to murder. His home and belongings were destroyed. Several attempts on his life were made by poisoning. Those who were his well-wishers began to harbour ill for him. Friends turned into foes. For an age which seemed eternity, he braved such hardships, which are beyond a pretender and impostor to suffer through. Writings of the Promised Messiah, salam. In order to establish the oneness of God, it is of utmost importance that one should love God to one's full capacity. And this love cannot be verified unless it reaches its perfection in a practical form. It cannot be proved with lip profession. You know, if somebody just talks of sugar, he cannot find the taste of sweetness in his mouth. Or, if somebody expresses the feeling of friendship, but does not help his friend in times of need, he cannot be called a true friend. Likewise, if somebody just talks of the oneness of God, but does not love him as he should, it cannot be of any avail. What I really mean is that practice is very important along with the precept. That is why it is necessary that you should dedicate your lives in the way of God. And this is the real Islam for which I have been sent to the world. Thus, he who does not come near this fountain that God has made to flow is very unfortunate. A new station, the Voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with the Voice of Islam. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon all of our listeners. Welcome back to The Breakfast Show on the Voice of Islam radio. Dear listener, now we will be moving on swiftly to our first segment of the show, which is the importance of civilian life. Uh, in this segment, we will discuss the Israel and Hamas war, uh, which is on everyone's mind nowadays. And why is there a high civilian death toll in the Gaza conflict? And what measures can be taken to address it? Um, as we all know, the situation that's happening in Gaza hmm. um, what we see is that Israel has now made uh, no secret about the intensity of yeah. the bombardment inside the Gaza Strip. Hmm. I believe around uh, 17,000, more than 17,000 yeah. people 
have now lost their lives, including children, yeah. majority of them, you know, being children. Majority, well. yeah, above seven thousand, yeah, being children. That's that's just a, a massive, massive mm. amount of loss, especially to those innocent children who just stepped foot yeah. in this world. Yeah, now have uh, to go, mm. and just imagine the loss and the feeling of the parents mm. that just gave birth to those children. It's it's just shocking. It's horrendous. You know, it's like essentially like if you're living in Gaza, yeah. it's as if you are uh, you're in a slaughterhouse. Literally, yeah. you are being born, knowing that most likely you mm. might not survive, mm. and that it that it's been dis- defined as an open air prison. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, biggest open air yeah. prison. And uh, what's happening over there is is just it's just so. Words cannot define it, yeah. and supposedly now you know the 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 Hamas tunnels, mm. right? The tunnels mm. in inverted commas. Um, so uh, Joe Biden was asked uh, in regards to this, what's happening over there? So supposedly Israel is pumping seawater into yeah. those tunnels, and uh, Joe Biden didn't give any comment in regards to this. And big, and why they're doing that? So the main purpose, yeah. um, some articles have released, is because so they can destroy, they can flatten the land, the mm. buildings, mm. the infrastructure that's there. Yeah. can be basically flattened hmm. and uh, and what whatever whatever buildings that are remaining and you know one of the oldest uh, mosques in the world yeah. it was uh, how, how many years old was it like i'm not too sure but it's, it was one of the 700 years or something yeah something yeah. something along those lines uh it's it's been it's been standing for so yeah, long yeah and it was recently destroyed yeah, um, yeah. through through bombardment. And you know, this is a war crime. They're not allowed. That, that's what, that's you're what not I allowed to d- destroy reli- and, uh, religious. Um, and they are openly buildings. allowed to commit these crimes, and yeah. they are not being asked questions regarding yeah. it. And there, there was a recent airstrike as well, where they dropped white phosphorus again, mm-hmm. again, another war crime. And they deny it. They do deny yeah. it. But the social media that we yeah. have here and yeah. all the journalists that are there, the, they the are thing clearly is in today's day and age, you can't. You can't really hide, mm. uh, um, you know, um, what it used to be like back in the old days. Yeah. Like you just it was just the media. It. it was just the yeah. news. That's where you yeah. were getting your information from. Exactly. But now everyone is a journal- journalist themselves. But you know, what uh, uh, the, the situation is that, you know, them being able to commit all of this is essentially, you know, uh, a, a, a slap in the face. A slap in <laughs> the face in the sense that we're doing this. And but you can't do anything, can't about, do anything it. about it. The UN has yeah. now just passed yeah. um, uh, the vote hmm. on a ceasefire. Yeah. But how are they going to implement it? Yeah. And why is Israel included in, in the, the option yeah. in, in the vote? In the vote, when they're the one committing these exactly. atrocities. That's so strange. Of course, they're going to say no. <laughs> of course, it was it was twenty three countries that yeah. were, uh, abstained. Yeah, and ten, uh, 10, 10 voted, voted against. No. Yeah, voted against it. Well, it's, it's it's good to hear that the majority of the countries are for a ceasefire. Yeah. They are against what yeah. Israel is doing. Yeah. But still, the superpowers, mm. say United States, mm. they can just veto anything that comes their way. But you know... like and who I've, is there to I, stop I've, them? I've looked into this quite a bit as well, but it's just... It just boggles my mind, you know, why the Arab nations, you know, the Muslim nations, uh, they are they are superpowers of the world. If why they, they get together. Yeah. Why are they not helping their yeah. fellow brethren, their fellow Muslim brethren? Because, you know, uh, um, what we believe in Islam uh, is that, you know, they will be questioned about this in the latter day. It's about justice. It's about justice. And uh, if you see an injustice being happened, you should help your mm. fellow brethren. 
be it whatever religion they mm. are whatever is happening exactly and um the promised messiah the founder of the ahmadiyya uh, muslim community yeah. even stated that you are not part of my community mm. if you even see your neighbor who is not part of your faith hindu mm. in trouble yeah and you do not go out to help him mm. so it doesn't matter what faith the fellow um citizen mm. of the country is but if you do not go out your way to help him when you see him in trouble mm. you are not part of the ahmadiyya muslim community that's what he has said yeah. yeah so we see that the arab mm. nations mm. are even part of the same faith yeah and still they are not mm. going out their way mm. to implement some kind of sanctions i mean or support. egypt being the neighboring country mm. all they have to do is you know just open their borders they won't even open their borders to let in let in the civilians but at the end yeah. of, even if they do open their borders yeah. the thing is if you're living in gaza you're not allowed to leave mm. but the thing is the civilians in that gaza is, a lot of people do say that why don't land. why don't they why don't they leave okay yeah. let's suggest why don't they leave okay if they're being bombarded over there even if it is their land you know someone's coming to your house obviously you don't have the means to retaliate you're going to leave right they're not allowed to leave yeah the borders are controlled by yeah but majority of the civilians in gaza hmm they it's their land it's their land why they say why why, why should we exactly leave? and why no, no, that, that I'm, I, of course that's yeah. an argument but i'm saying they're not even if even if they were they're not allowed to leave yeah and egypt is saying the president did yeah. say that look if we do hmm. um open our borders hmm. to the palestinians yeah then slowly slowly it's going to become a trend and everyone will be so what you, will you, be you, you. but the thing is then they'll have to cater for them how 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 do they cater for them even I know, israel I has even yes. israel has even mentioned that we mm. will give you mm. funds mm. so they there i was i was reading this article where they mentioned that we're not saying mm. everyone goes to egypt yeah we're saying majority um, some go to egypt some go to jordan mm. some go to uh, lebanon mm. and they will supply the funds for mm. them so what's the initial goal here mm. they want the they land want the or land. they want to eradicate the hamas mm. Mm. that's there, there's a lot of questions out there yeah. but you know we have to look into some of the situation yeah, that's so stuff on. happening over there you know it's just uh, and you know it's not just in what's happening in israel and palestine there's many different places such as there's a conflict happening in sudan yeah uh, in in the congo yeah. as well Republic of Congo and Yemen, uh, Yemen. Yeah. and uh, you know the it's just the whole the state of the world is is the, quite the shocking. Uyghur Muslims in China, yeah, um, and uh, you know even the Ukraine Russia war, yeah, you know the world is is in a state of um, and you see the 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 Kashmir conflict as well. Of course, of course, and you know the, in India even said that you know we're going to be taking notes from yeah. what Israel is <laughs> exactly, doing exactly exactly uh, in in Palestine. We were taking a note from their notebook. Yeah. and um the state of the world is just is heading towards <clears throat> heading towards destruction yeah and uh, you know there could be a imminent you know there could be a potential world war even yeah that's uh, that's, that's where the world is heading the, the, where the world is heading so that's why you know they we need mm. to heed the warnings of uh, of our caliph as well especially yeah. you yeah. know he's uh, he currently he is the champion of peace in the world yeah uh and uh, as well as you know the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him his teachings he was original you know the champion of peace yeah. in the world right 
And we, uh, as Ahmadi Muslims, we of course we follow on the teachings of Islam. Islam. Uh, and um, so, in 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 terms of that, um, you know, what 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 does Islam say in in regards to this? First of all, you know, you know, we um, were just uh, speaking yeah. about um, Israel committing these crimes, mm. these war crimes yeah. that the international law has passed that you cannot mm. um, hurt innocent mm. civilians. Yeah. Children, yeah. the elderly, yeah. and mosques, hospitals—all of this has been laid out by the founder of Islam, the, yeah. the Holy Prophet, peace and Has been laid out by God Almighty. Yeah. In 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 the book, uh, the Holy Quran. Exactly. Um, it, it's been laid out clearly. Yeah. Yeah. That you're not allowed to do any of this during yeah. during war. And the Holy Prophet had emphasized on yeah. this. And he had mentioned that mm. the elderly, the children, the mm. mosques, mm. places of worship yeah. cannot be harmed. Yeah. And we be see it even be a church, be a synagogue, be, anything, be a, yeah. uh, any place of a, worship. Any place of worship, right? So what we see now that Israel is mm. doing is the complete opposite. Exactly. Even though it's in an international law. Mm. It's such a you know such a shame what's going on over there currently, um, but um, you know, uh, unfortunately. Uh, the 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 Muslim the Muslim nations are you know they're not even um, helping as well but uh, hopefully you know um, Allah the Almighty guides uh, them on the right path and you know guides the Israelis on the right path. I think as it's well, true hopefully. righteousness that's needed. Yeah, the, hopefully they can see that you know the what they're com- doing, what they're committing right now, is just completely wrong, right? Because the loss of uh, innocent civilian life is so high right now. Yeah. Um, I was actually reading some stats and it mentioned that um, uh, the amount of children hmm. that have been murdered in Afghanistan, yeah. which is around in 11 years, hmm. was around uh, six to 7,000. Yeah. Yeah. But in just two months, so, hmm. so this is a, the amount of children that were killed in 11 years. Yeah. But in just two months... More than seven thousand children have been killed by Israel in this yeah. conflict. So, so in Iraq, uh, in fourteen years, yeah, three thousand one hundred children were killed. Yeah, in Syria, twelve thousand uh, children, uh, twelve thousand sorry, yeah, twelve thousand children were killed in eleven years. Yeah, in Yemen, it was three thousand seven hundred in seven years. Yeah, in Ukraine, it was five hundred twenty in twenty one months, so almost two years. Mm-hmm. In Palestine, twelve thousand in, in two yeah, months. In two months. So the so the. <laughs> And this is children. Yeah, exactly. That's just. I mean, look. The thing is, even with when it comes to children, right? Uh, you're you're not even allowed to try try them, even if they you know commit the mm-hmm. crime, right? Mm-hmm. As uh, the law, as, as the, it, uh, yeah, the law prohibits yeah. it because at the, at that age, you know, it might be accidental <laughs> or whatever. But Israel tries children, mm-hmm. and they put them in jail. As well, yeah. But the thing is, like, if you read or listen yeah. to some of the statements that the officials in mm. Israel are making, it's just, it's just horrifying. Yeah. And then one of the Israel's secretary mentioned that we mm. should nuke the place. Yeah, yeah. That's that, <laughs> that's, that's was just like the crazy. Minister yeah. or something. Yeah, right? we should nuke the place. Yeah. yeah. No, he he didn't say we should nuke. He said nuking the place is an option. Is an option. Yeah. And uh, Netanyahu even mentioned he 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 gave a reference mm. to uh, this nation yeah. called Amalek, yeah. 
which mentioned which in the in the holy scriptures the, mentions yeah, that you know kill the children children the, don't spare the children or the women, the women just essentially annihilate, annihilate them annihilate so everyone. with him giving this reference yeah. What does that mean? Mm. And that's what they are actually mm. <laughs> we see happening in Gaza. Exactly, right now. exactly. So these kind of things that are happening right now mm. it just makes you think: where has the fear of God gone, mm. and the righteousness gone? Um, the Definitely. and in Islam, it's if we just um, mention mm. that. Um, it's mentioned that it is not righteousness hmm. that you turn your faces to the east or the west, <clears throat> but truly righteous is he who believes in Allah and the last day and the angels hmm. and the book and the prophets and hmm. spends his money for love of him yeah. on the kindred <clears throat> and the orphans and the needy and the wayfarer and those who ask for charity and for ransoming the captives and who observes prayer and pays the zakat, hmm. and those who fulfill their promise when they have made one, and the patient in poverty, and afflictions, and the steadfast in time of war. It is these who have proved truthful, and it is these who are the God-fearing. So this just lays out what righteousness um, truly is. Hmm. And you know, like, um, the whole collateral damage argument, how much more collateral damage do you want because the majority of damage that you're doing is collateral yeah. right and uh why you know the uh, the israel uh army uh the idf you know they mm. have a lot of personnel right and they have a lot of backup personnel as well they have more than enough men to go you know mm, f uh boots on the ground yeah and yeah. just seek out these hamas terrorists right yeah. that uh, th that's what they, they should are, be doing. yeah exactly Face to face, they have enough technology. Man to man, or you know, whatever. Yeah. If you want to do woman to man, because they do have yeah, women enlisted women in the IDF yeah. as well. Um, and you know how they <laughs> they claim they're the most moral yeah. army in the world. Mm. And everyone must have seen some of the social media mm. clips online, where they are aiming at mosques and mm. hospitals and mm. church, and they blow these buildings up. And you just the see thing is, these. They can do surgical strikes where, for example, if you're, if it's like two bedrooms on a building, right? On 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 say a four-story building, there's just two bedrooms, or you can see the windows, and say supposedly there are Hamas terrorists inside those two bedrooms. They can do surgical strikes and just destroy those two bedrooms using a strike. Yeah, that's the. But they, they have they that decimate the entire building. They have that technology. Yeah, they have that to technology go towards yeah. that route. Yeah, but but they, they choose they, to, they you know, just not to just decimate the land yeah and that, that's what I was mentioning because them claiming that they're the most moral army yeah. in the world and then you see these video clips mm. online they're just clearly um, destroying a hospital or, or, mm. or a school or a mosque and then laughing you can yeah. you can hear them laughing about it and you know that there's, there are people in that building who are just lost their lives mm. and you are just laughing about it it's not too moral if you ask me an IDF spokesperson stated, the IDF is committed to international law and acts according to it, and in doing so attacks military targets and does not attack civilians. The terrorist organization Hamas places its operatives and military assets in the heart of civilian population. Hamas systematically uses the civilian population as a human shield and conducts combat from civilian buildings 
including sensitive sites such as hospitals, mosques, schools and UN facilities. Okay, let's say for argument's sake this is true. Hamas is using them for human shield, right? But if it was in any other situation, if there was a terrorist situation going on, right, and someone is holding a gun to someone's head or something, you always try and go defuse the situation, right? You don't just kill the civilian as well mm. and end up, you know, killing the... That, that never happens. Yeah. But dear listeners, we are coming to a conclude. Um, the 8 o'clock news is looming, so do join us after a short break. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. in the name of Allah, the most gracious ever, merciful. Welcome back to The Breakfast Show, dear listener. We do have an interview with one of our <coughs> guests, Professor John Quigley, so we will be listening to that one right now. We're delighted to have... Dr. John Quigley on the line, who is a scholar in public international law and Professor Emeritus in Mort College of Law from the Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio, United States of America. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, speaking to us. Thank you. Just to begin with, how does the international law protect civilians, especially the, the innocent civilians? Well, international law protects civilians by rules that require that an army uh, take care not to harm civilians. Um, Armies are supposed to direct their uh, efforts against military objectives uh, only. Um, And when they direct their fire against civilians, that is a violation uh, of the law. Um, And the problem with the firing that is being done in Gaza right now uh, is that care is not being taken, and large numbers of civilians are being uh, harmed in the process. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and that is one of what I want to ask you as well, because how is this how does this impact the the loss of civilian life when there is war happening and uh, the lasting impacts of this are quite detrimental. So can you just talk us through that as well, please? Yes, it has a, a tremendous, terrible impact on civilians. I mean one can see that in the current situation uh, in Gaza. Uh, where you have a whole population that's being deprived uh, of necessities. This is also a violation. Um, Starvation is not permitted as a means of warfare, Um, and that is what is happening just now. Uh, And that has a tremendous damaging impact on a population for years to come. I mean, even people who are not immediately affected by bombing, uh, uh, you know, may have medical conditions that need to be treated, uh, and they don't get treated. So people die, you know, maybe 10 years from now, whereas they might have lived for 30 or 40 years. Uh, And if you think about children and children not being fed properly, how that affects their development. Uh, so you have these long-term effects that aren't immediately visible. Uh, they're not apparent in the numbers of people being killed, even though those numbers are very high. But the numbers that will uh, eventually die or 
a reduced level of life, uh, those yeah. numbers are much greater. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You've, Doctor, you've written, um, you've authored books on the Palestine, on Palestine, including the case for Palestine as well. I want to ask you, why are international organizations such as the United Nations why and how are they failing to address the violation of human rights, um, specifically in Palestine in this day and age as well? Or should I say that they are raising their voices, but they're not being heard? Those, their advice is not being adhered to, it's being ignored. Why is that? Yes, well, the United Nations is a very imperfect organization. It is providing assistance to the Palestine uh, uh, refugees, uh, which is a positive development. But uh, in terms of stopping Israel, um, uh, it is quite ineffective, uh, primarily because of the protection of the United States uh, and of the provision in the UN Charter for a veto in the Security Council. Uh, so as long as the United States is protecting Israel, the United Nations cannot do very much. Now, it is having a meeting today in the General Assembly, uh, which will uh, apparently call for a ceasefire. Uh, but even if the General Assembly calls for a ceasefire, uh, Israel will not expect that uh, decision, um, and the United States will not allow the Security Council to to act on the matter. In principle, the Security Council could organize a military force and send it into Gaza and drive the Israeli army out. That's what the UN Charter calls for. The UN Charter says that the Security Council is supposed to deal with aggression. Israel committed aggression against Gaza in 1967 and is continuing that aggression uh, today. So what should be happening under the UN Charter is that the Security Council should meet. It would be under Article 42 of the UN Charter uh, and should organize a military force uh, to drive Israel out. Yeah, um, Doctor, the, the the violation when you're talking about the international laws and international organizations as well, with the current violations which are happening right now, and they are quite grave violations, as you mentioned as well. Um, what does that say about future future or, uh, international organizations? Do they have a future? Well, I, I think the United Nations has, has proved itself to be uh, quite useless in a situation of this kind. Uh, I mean, it can put some pressure on countries. Uh, it can embarrass the United States for exercising its, its veto. Um, there is also an international court. Um, it is not entirely effective uh, either because similarly its decisions are supposed to be implemented by the Security Council, where again one has the veto uh, provision, uh, which in the case of, of Israel will be exercised by the United States. 
Um, but that court can issue uh, an order uh, to stop what is going on. There is a convention, the Genocide Convention, that should be invoked right now by other states uh, in order to uh, uh, condemn what Israel is doing. What Israel is doing constitutes genocide. The evacuation order from October 12, October 13, um, uh, constituted genocide. You know, even if there were, were no immediate deaths from that order, but simply ordering an entire population uh, to move under circumstances where they have no uh, access to fuel and, and to food and to water, uh, that qualifies as genocide under the Genocide Convention. It is open to any state in the world that is a party to the Genocide Convention to file a lawsuit against Israel in the International Court of Justice. Um, and it seems to me at this point that is what should be invoked uh, by by other states, and in particular by the organization of the uh, Islamic Cooperation, which has adopted a resolution saying that it would support uh, Palestine in whatever decision it makes about filing a suit against Israel in the International Court uh, of Justice. Um, if the OIC uh, would take the lead, uh, one could find a group of countries that could collectively sue Israel for genocide. You would then at least have an, uh, an order from the court uh, saying that it appears that genocide uh, is being committed. Yeah. So you do believe that the situation in Gaza right now is a violation of international humanitarian law. What needs to be done then, finally? What needs to be done to address this issue properly and make sure that this, you know, we, we, we you know, de-escalate the war into a ceasefire and then make sure that there is no war, absolutely, that there's justice um, and justice prevails. What, what, what actions do we need to take? And governments, what, what, do, they, what do we need to see? Well, they need, first of all, to require Israel to stop. And that could be done through economic means. The European Union has the possibility of, of pressuring Israel. Most of Israel's trade is the, the European Union. In terms of keeping this from happening in the future, uh, one thing that needs to be done is the repatriation of the refugees in Gaza. Most of the population in Gaza consists of, of people who have forced out of their home areas uh, going back to 1948. So uh, roughly two-thirds of the population of Gaza consists of people who are in families that were forced out of their home areas uh, in 1948. And that is the real crux of the problem. Uh, in That's why Gaza has been overpopulated for, uh, for these yeah. 75 years. Um, uh, and that constitutes a crime against humanity. The leadership of Israel should be uh, under prosecution in the International Criminal Court. 
for prohibiting the repatriation of those families. The, the prohibition of of people to uh, return to their home areas um, is considered a crime under international law. Mm. Mm. Thank you for 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 speaking out and telling us, you know, what the possible solution may be. Uh, Dr. Dr. John, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you, and I'm sure that the listeners would uh, 100% benefit from uh, from our discussion and our talk. Thank you so much once again. Thank you. So that was, uh, you know, a very interesting um, interview with Professor John Quigley, who's been on the Voice of Islam, you know, many times before as well, and he's uh, he's a sound scholar. Uh, in um, public international law and he's a professor as well at the Ohio State University and you know it was very nice to you know speak to him uh, once again and get his uh, views uh, on this topic as well we do have another brief audio clip in regards to the, what's happening over there in Israel and Palestine so let's listen to that one this was prophesied in the Holy Quran that twice will the Israelites be turned out of Palestine and twice they will recapture it and twice will they be tried if they conducted themselves well in the sight of Allah then they will not be punished but if they reverted to the old follies then they will be punished and turned out of Palestine and Palestine would be inherited by godly people, by the righteous people. So, unless this prophecy is fulfilled in both, uh, uh, in both manners, you know, there are two things mentioned in this prophecy. Number one, the Jews will recapture one day, in the latter days, the word latter days is uh, Wadul Akhara is the word used, is the expression used in the Holy Quran. In the promise of the latter days, Jews will be made to return to Palestine. This is a prophecy of the Holy Quran, nobody could alter it. After them, the land will be inherited by pious people. So if the Muslims of the time were already pious, why should they have come to Palestine at all? That means to say that at the time when, Muslim, when uh, the Jews would recapture or re-enter Palestine, generally speaking, the Muslims would have been rejected by Allah as not pious. In the meantime, a pious community would be created from among them. And Jews will ultimately be made to leave Palestine in shame and in defeat and that land would be inherited Allah, by the God-fearing people of Allah. Ibadus Salihun that is those who do good deeds and who are pious, virtuous people. So Ahmadiyyat came to prepare that group which would ultimately inherit that land. And this phenomena went parallel side by side for a while. At one, on the one side we observe the fulfillment of the Holy Quran in the way of Jews recapturing Palestine. 
on the other side we see that community being prepared and being educated which would ultimately inshallah enter baitul muqaddas and uh, inherit it from allah so i don't see any contradiction in those these two things if you see any contradiction after my explanation please um clarify your question further so that i have already explained the fact is that according to the holy quran as well as according to the traditions of the holy prophet of islam a most unfortunate time was to come to muslims when they were no longer to be muslims in reality in the sense that as a whole they would be pious god loving god fearing people they would stick to the word and spirit of the holy quran if that prophecy is to be fulfilled and we know it not only is it to be fulfilled it has been fulfilled then such people have no longer a right to whatever they were given by allah by way of favor and the holy quran makes a very a, a fundamental declaration in this regard it says inna allah la yughayyiru ma biqawmin hatta yughayyiru ma bi'anfusihim whatever allah has given to to some people he does not alter that state of favors until first people themselves change themselves and no longer deserve their those favors then allah takes away those favors sometimes a people are punished at the hands of worse people and that is a phenomenon of punishment that doesn't mean that jews are dearer to allah it only means that the muslims of this time are to be demonstrated by allah that they are no longer on the right path they are no longer god fearing and righteous so allah's wrath is showing to them and in in a manner that which is which is also so insulting to be punished by a person lower than you is a very great insult it adds insult to injury so to punish to be punished in itself is bad but to be punished at the hands of somebody who stands lower in status and degree is the worst punishment like that happened in the time of zar you know when the zar refused na told his, one of his guards not to let anybody enter his palace because he was busy in very, some very important work zar's son appeared and he tried to force his way to the to the palace the guard stopped him and said no it is the order of my master i am not going to permit you to enter he started beating him and after that when he got tired he thought now he would have changed his mind he tried again to enter the palace and he said no the orders still remain i am not going to permit you because he was a very strong burly man so this prince 
could not enter by force, but he kept on beating him until Zar heard this noise. And uh, when he came out, he knew what was happening, in fact. But he asked innocently, what was the matter? Why is he beating you? He said, look, it was... Uh, um, uh, he asked his son, why were you beating? He said, he did not permit me to enter the palace. He says, oh, that is his crime, that is his audacity. All right, but what did he say? He said, he, he, I am not permitted by my master, the king. He said, you heard this and yet you insisted? So he told the, the, the guard to take up the wick in his own hand and start beating this prince, this, the very son of the king. He took very strong exception to this. Not to the punishment, but to the punishment at the, to the punishment at the hand of a lowly placed person. The whole incident revolves this issue, this debate. He says he is lower than I am and uh, he can't beat me. He has no right to beat me. So the king went on raising his status until he was raised to the status of a prince. And then he said, beat him now. So in the worldly affairs, we see the punishment is made more ignoble and more torturous when you are punished at the hands of a lowly person as compared to you. So sometimes this is how Allah's wrath comes. His displeasure appears. That people who are not closer to Allah than you are are appointed to punish you for your running away from Allah and discarding his message. It has happened many a time in the history of Muslims. It's no wonder. At the time when Baghdad was being attacked by the herds, by the hordes, Khawanin hordes from um, Mongolia, the caliph of the time sent messengers to a very holy person who was living a retired life and it was said that his prayers are accepted by Allah. So he sent, beseeched him and beseeched him to pray for to Allah that Allah may avert this calamity which was reaching Baghdad very rapidly. So the entire night he kept on praying. As he had told the king, the messenger of the king, to come in the morning to receive the answer, when he appeared in the morning, you know what his answer was? He said, all night I have been praying to Allah to avert this calamity and to stop this horde of non-believers. And the entire night I have been given this revelation repeatedly. Ayyuhal kuffar, uqtulul fujjar. Ayyuhal kuffar, uqtulul fujjar. O non-believers, murder or kill the believers who are not righteous. Fujjar are those who believe in God or in his messenger but whose deeds are ugly and bad and corrupt. So this was the revelation made to him throughout in, the, in answer to his prayer. He said, from this I understand that they are coming by way of Allah's decree and punishment. And now you have earned Allah's player, this player, nobody can avoid this calamity. This is going to befall you. 
though it has happened there too. So why can't it be repeated? And if the Muslims take the lesson, if they begin to see the message, then the things will, inshallah, be totally transformed in their favor and against the Jews. If they become Ibadi Salihun, as is said in the Holy Quran, Allah would see to it that they inherit the land again and uh, the Jews are turned out of that land. So that was the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed. May Allah have mercy on him. Um, and you know, he, he was speaking uh, about how the lack of righteousness is, uh, you know, uh, it's not, there's no righteousness present in today's day and age, in today's world. That is why we are heading towards the path that we are heading towards. So dear listeners, we hope you've been enjoying today's show so far. We will be taking a very short break and then we will be moving on to our next segment of the morning. Winter hits hard, difficult for homeless and rough sleepers. So don't go anywhere and do join us after a very short break. Selections from the writings of the promised Messiah, upon whom be peace, the founder of the Ahmadiyya movement in Islam. Take note how the holy prophet of Islam remained resolute and steadfast in his claim to prophethood from beginning to end, in the face of thousands of dangers and a multitude of enemies and threatening opponents. For years on end, he endures such hardship and suffering as increased from day to day, enough to make one despair of success. It is inconceivable for a man with worldly motives to have shown such prolonged endurance and steadfastness. Not only that, by putting forth his claim to prophethood, he even lost the support he had previously enjoyed. The price he had to pay for his one claim was to confront a hundred thousand contentions and invite a multitude of calamities to befall upon his head. He was exiled from his homeland, pursued with intent to murder. His home and belongings were destroyed. Several attempts on his life were made by poisoning. Those who were his well-wishers began to harbour ill for him. Friends turned into foes. For an age which seemed eternity, he braved such hardships, which are beyond a pretender and impostor to suffer through. Selections from the writings of the Promised Messiah, upon whom be peace, the founder of the Ahmadiyya movement in Islam. I look always with wonder at this Arab prophet, whose name is Muhammad. Thousands of blessings and peace be upon him. How exalted his status was. One cannot perceive the ultimate limit of his station, and it is not within the scope of man to fully comprehend the depth and penetration of his ennobling qualities. Alas, due recognition has not been paid to his lofty rank. That unity which had disappeared from the world was restored by this same valiant champion. He loved God most intensely. So also his soul was being consumed in deep sympathy for mankind. That is why God, who was fully aware of the hidden excellences of his heart, exalted him above all the prophets and all the people of the past and the future and fulfilled his heart's desires in the span of his lifetime. Selections from the writings of the Promised Messiah, upon whom be peace, the founder of the Ahmadiyya movement in Islam. Take note how the Holy Prophet of Islam remained resolute and steadfast in his claim to prophethood from beginning to end, in the face of thousands of dangers and a multitude of enemies and threatening opponents. 
For years on end, he endures such hardship and suffering as increase from day to day. Enough to make one despair of success. It is inconceivable for a man with worldly motives to have shown such prolonged endurance and steadfastness. Not only that, by putting forth his claim to prophethood, he even lost the support he had previously enjoyed. The price he had to pay for his one claim was to confront a hundred thousand contentions and invite a multitude of calamities to befall upon his head. He was exiled from his homeland, pursued with intent to murder. His home and belongings were destroyed. Several attempts on his life were made by poisoning. Those who were his well-wishers began to harbour ill for him. Friends turned into foes. For an age which seemed eternity, he braved such hardships, which are beyond a pretender and impostor to suffer through. Allah, Allah. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim in the name of Allah the most gracious ever merciful. Welcome back to the breakfast show dear listeners. So we are we have moved on to the second segment of the morning that winter hits hard difficult for homeless and rough sleepers. Extra support has been put in place for rough sleepers across the east of England due to cold weather. Homelessness is experienced due to various reasons such as poverty, unemployment, mental health issues and a lack of affordable housing. <clears throat> Many individuals and families face homelessness due to financial difficulties such as job loss, low wages or overwhelming debt. A lack of affordable health care may push individuals and their families to financial instability and homelessness. So we do have online with us one of our guests of the morning uh, that we will be speaking to in regards to this. Um, he, and he goes by the name of Dan. Dan Dumoulin. I uh, hope I pronounced that correctly. Welcome to the show, Dan. Hello. Uh, good Dan, morning. Yeah, hello. Can you hear me? Yes, yes, we, yes, we can hear you now. Yes, we can hear yeah, you Yeah, yeah, well... Great to be here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, yes, to begin with, Dan, pl- uh, please could you tell us about uh, DePaul UK and its aims? Yeah, so DePaul UK, we're a national homelessness charity. We work with young people uh, and also people of all ages sleeping on the streets. Uh, I can tell you a little bit, a story actually that explains yeah. uh, what we do. Um, so Charlie was a He's a 16-year-old from the northeast. Uh, he lived with his mum and his baby sister. Uh, tragically, his his baby sister died. Uh, at which point, his mum really started to struggle. Uh, found it very difficult. Became physically uh, and emotionally abusive towards Charlie, and actually kicked him out. Mm-hmm. So, Charlie, 16-year-old, terrified, on his own, on the streets tried sleeping in cafes but they would close he'd get thrown out of there uh, and actually ended up sleeping in bus stops in the middle of newcastle mm. which you know for a 16 year old boy is an absolutely terrifying and really really dangerous place uh to, to try and sleep in reality he didn't sleep at all because he was just too scared mm. now, that's where 
Dr. Paul came in. So we've we've got a night stop service where members of the public uh, can train as volunteers to provide, uh, to host people who are homeless, like Charlie, in their spare room uh, for a couple of nights. So we were able to look Charlie up with a couple of our uh, DePaul night stop hosts. Uh, he stayed with a, uh, a couple, a, a doctor and a teacher who had a spare room. They were able to provide him with warm, tasty meals, give him a bed so he was able to get a good night's sleep for the first time in weeks. Uh, and also things, things just little things to help him, like helping him get to college. Hmm. Um, so he stayed with them. It had a huge impact on him, just because he, you know, he had the, the physically he had somewhere safe to be. Uh, but he's all, he was also reminded, I guess, that uh, people can be kind and helpful even to a complete stranger. Hmm. Uh, and now he's doing, he's doing great. He's got his own place. Uh, he's working full time and is looking to get back into education. Uh, so that's what we're all about. We mm. want to we want to end homelessness. We want people, no matter who they are, to have someone safe to stay, and we want to bring people from across society together to help us to do that. Mm. That that's very wonderful work that you're doing there, and, you. and and the help that you are giving <coughs> to those people that are sleeping rough on the streets of London. Um, what are the, st- the statistics on rough sleepers in London this winter? So, yeah, well, last last winter, uh, three and a half thousand people slept rough in London, mm. so, and that was just from October to December. So that's a huge, huge number. Three months, three and a half thousand people. Mm. Unfortunately, it's, it's looking like this winter. It's it's going to be worse. Um, cost of living crisis, which I'm sure you and your listeners know all about. Yeah. So people are struggling to pay their bills. Rents have been going up by about 10% over in a year in London. Mm-hmm. Um, so those two things together uh, would push more people into homelessness and mean they have nowhere to stay and end up sleeping rough with all of the dangers that that involves. There's also something else that's been happening recently, um, which is that hundreds and hundreds of more refugees have ended up sleeping rough in London. And that's because of... Um, changes that the government have made to the way that uh, asylum seekers and refugees are accommodated mm. and you as you just mentioned regarding the refugees how do how do the refugees become homeless for our so, yeah. so when someone comes to the uk and seeks asylum if they haven't got anywhere to stay the government will provide accommodation you and your listeners might have heard of um hotels that the government yeah uh, takes over and and yeah and then people stay in those when their asylum claim is being processed. Mm. Now, in most cases, people this claim is successful and people get refugee status. When someone gets refugee status, they actually have to leave the hotel. So it's 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 a bit strange, really. You know, someone comes to this country because they're being persecuted, and at the point where we recognise that they've been persecuted. They then lose their accommodation uh, and pretty much have to fend for themselves in a new country where they, you know, where they might not know anyone. Mm. Now, in terms of what's changed, it used to be people used to have around 28 days uh, from the point where they got their refugee status um, to find somewhere else to live, but that's been cut recently to as little as seven days, mm. which is, I mean. 
you know, imagine you're new to the country, essentially haven't got any money, and then you're told that you have nowhere to live in seven days. Got to find a, got to mm-hmm. find somewhere to live. You got to find some, 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 uh, some means of paying the rent. So lots of refugees are really being put in an absolutely impossible position here now, mm. so, uh, and they're finding themselves sleeping rough. So would you say most of the people that are sleeping rough or homeless are refugees? Majority of them? No, I, d- I don't think it's most of the people. Um, I think most people sleeping rough across the country mm. are UK nationals. Um, in London, there's a- around half the people who aren't sleeping rough are, are non-UK nationals. Um, and some of them are refugees. So it's it's not, at the moment at least, it's not the case that most people sleeping rough are, are refugees. But mm. the, the, the issue is that the number of refugees sleeping rough is increasing, has increased hugely over the last few months. Mm. And did COVID play a big uh, um, role in these uh, people sleeping rough? Did that have an impact? Yeah, well, absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, they... they um, because the way they, the the system works at the moment, at the point where someone gets refugee status, uh, they're left with with pretty much no support. Um, so for for lots of people, I mean, it's hard to see how they would avoid sleeping rough. They've got no money and no accommodation, and the amount at the time they've got to sort themselves out has just been reduced. Uh, and then, I, I mean, you know, people come here looking for a safe place to live, and then find themselves on the streets and I mean when someone's on the streets we know that things like men- mental health will decline, physical health will decline uh, and it's incredibly dangerous physically as well. Tragically lots of people sleeping rough are, uh, are violently assaulted, spat mm. on, set on fire mm. um, and there's already been quite a few people who've tragically <coughs> died while sleeping on our streets this winter. Mm-hmm. So it, it really is a terrible situation. Do you have any figures or stats on how many people actually lose their lives just sleeping rough and being homeless? Uh, well, I think this this winter we've heard about uh, four or five people who've died um, on the streets of the UK. Mm-hmm. They're the people that we've we've heard about. Um, but yeah, it's probably you know, in terms of actual numbers, there's every year there's there's people um, who are dying. Uh, far more than we would like no one should be on the streets and no one should be dying on the streets mm-hmm. there was actually a few years ago a um a, a someone who was sleeping rough actually died in westminster uh, underground station which is where all the politicians get off the tube and go to work in parliament so mm-hmm. i mean that's stri- quite a striking tragic thing to have happened really that our politicians are walking past her yeah someone who was sleeping rough and who who had who had died mm. yeah that's quite tragic isn't it um and what, what can our listeners do to help support people that are sleeping rough this winter yeah so lots and lots of people uh already get involved because clearly no one in the uk would accept this situation lots and lots of people want to help so i've, I've spoke a bit about Nightstop earlier and how the service helped charlie so if people think that's something they might be interested in, um, they can contact the pool and ask, you know, let us know that they're interested in becoming a, a host. So, you know, not everyone can do it. And it, it is a big ask, but there's lots of training and there's lots of support that we put in to make sure it's, it's safe. 
So if, if people are interested, please do go on, uh, please do Google DePaul Nightstop and um, see how you how you can get involved. If 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 and not everyone's got a spare room, uh, and it, not everyone would would want to uh, give it up. There's lots of good reasons why why people couldn't wouldn't be able to do that. Um, so probably the best way to help, apart from that, is is to look for a, a local homelessness charity, a national homelessness charity, um, and volunteer in other ways. So you know we 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 really do depend on volunteers at DePaul. It's a key part of what we do. So we're, we're always we always welcome members of the public who want to volunteer, mm. uh, and and you can always, also of course give financially if if people are in a position to do that. So mm. right now we're we're trying to pull the money together to open a new uh, a shelter, a winter shelter. Um, tragically, you know, it's, it's, there are still people on our streets uh, in this really the weather's getting really cold. We want to take people off the street. Um, we want to provide accommodation, and you know there are costs to doing that. So, any any financial donation that people can give to DePaul would would really welcome. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much, Dan. Uh, it was wonderful speaking to you. Great work you're doing out there, and may God give you more opportunities to help others even more. Oh, well, thank you very much. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak to your listeners. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes, that was Dan, who is the Director of Development and External Affairs at DePaul UK, and he's doing quite wonderful mm. work out there helping others. And you know, our fundamental teaching of Islam yeah. does promote and teach to help others. Mm. Um, it's it's narrated that like for your uh, brother mm. what you like for yourself. Yeah. So whatever situation that you see others in, if you put yourself in that situation, would you want to be in it? Of course Definitely. not. So Definitely. we should be out there helping everyone hmm. possible. So begging or asking for food and money without repayment was the means by which poor survived at the time of the Prophet. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, disapproved of begging and only allowed it under three circumstances. If one was in severe poverty, when <clears throat> one owed enormous debt or when one did not have any means to pay blood money. He did not allow begging by a rich person or by anyone who has the strength and is in sound uh, and is uh, sound in limb. Mm. You know, that was uh, the case in times of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Mm. And you know, um, during the time of the second caliph, yeah. uh, Hazrat um, Umar, yeah. um, he actually allocated <coughs> a sum of money hmm. for those elderly people who were begging outside for some food or shelter because he said that when he w- when when that person who's begging hmm. was young, he was hmm. working, he was he was strong, he had strength to work, but now. Because he's reached a certain age where he can't provide for himself, yeah. So he shouldn't be out there begging mm. to survive. So mm. the state should help him. So he had allocated a certain amount of sum for those people yeah. at that time. So this all um, started at the time mm. of the second caliph in Islam. Yeah. And you know, the Islam, uh, the, the uh, Islam uh, has um, has made the giving of charity a purification for those with wealth and a means by which wealthy may achieve nearness to Allah. Yeah. 
In addition, the giving of charity provides for those in poverty. And the AMC uh, donated 350 soup casserole packs to a local charity, Slough Outreach, um, on 18th December as part of their local winter community welfare and supportive support initiative. The packs will be used to not only support the homeless community in Slough, <clears throat> but also to help support the most vulnerable families who are facing food shortages. Then the Muslim community is encouraged to help the homeless in various ways, mainly through charity, which is why we organise such happenings to help the wider community. As it is a recurring theme in the Holy Quran, following the practices of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, the Holy Quran states, And what should make thee know what the ascent is? It is um, uh, the freeing of a slave, mm. or feeding in a day of hunger, an orphan near of kin, or a poor man lying in the dust. Yeah. So the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has stated in another place that it is better for one, uh, for one of you to take his rope, bring a load of firewood on his back and sell it, God thereby preserving his self-respect, than that he should beg from people whether they give him anything or refuse him. And he also referred to rough hands of a labourer as the hands God loves. So, you know, that, that's, that, that is what uh, we need to do. Uh, we need to follow in the true teachings of Islam in the footsteps of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. So we do have online with us our second guest of the morning, Mr. Chris Edwards, who is a trustee for the Humanity First International Charity, as well as being part of the Voice of Islam. Good morning, peace be upon you, and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Thank you very much. Salam to you, everyone. Wa alaikum salam. So just to begin with, could you please tell us about the organisation Humanity First and the work uh, that you guys are doing? Yeah, so in 1995, we started off as a, um, as a relief charity for the Kosovan crisis, and obviously people were being made homeless there in slightly different circumstances. But we are a disaster relief um, organisation, so disasters can form in many ways. We've then gone on to do um, other programmes, doing water wells and eye mm. care and medical camps and stuff like that. But at our core, disaster relief is uh, is where we came from and what we still do. Like people are being home made homeless in Gaza, for example, mm. you know, and uh, we will help where we can uh, anywhere in the world yeah uh, and what are some of the struggles that rough sleepers uh, you know face in the winter yeah i mean uh, as a humanity first volunteer a few yeah. years ago i helped with the um the, the homeless library that runs in in central london hmm. and so i saw firsthand in freezing cold conditions um um were coming to lincoln's up in uh, in Holborn to get food to try and get them through the night and and with Humanity First working with the Quaker Mobile Library hmm. we were able to sort of um, humanise um, rough sleepers yeah. and they could have books and things like that so yeah, some of these people are you know have their own mental health struggles or of lifestyle choices um, or, or sometimes it's economics that's forced them into that situation but. Hmm. I think that they often get looked down on uh, by many of the people walking to work, but yeah. actually, you know, there but for the grace of God, <laughs> would we go? You know, mm. that, uh, so it, it's very important. I mean, one of the, I mean, I, I obviously 
every Christmas there's this whole campaign of you know helping the homeless at Christmas and stuff yeah. like that. I mean, certainly Humanity First um, about five years ago, Sadiq Khan did a program and we helped with uh, homeless haircuts, homeless IE. Um, we had a couple of opticians volunteered for us and we mm. were able to do um, some eye stuff. We also did some dentistry for homeless people. Yeah. Uh, and I was lucky enough to drive the enormous NHS dental lorry mm. um, where we were able to sort of uh, serve some people there. So thanks to our our, our donors and uh, and no money was spent, we were able to support um, some homeless people in, in those endeavours. But sometimes there's a focus at Christmas because it's cold, but actually homeless people are struggling in the summer, but they don't get the uh, respect because in the summer, out on the streets, it's deemed a bit easier, but actually the mental side of things is just, the, just as bad, and, and there's mm. a lot less um, care, a lot less agencies um, putting them in, in, in a bed if it's very cold, for example. Hmm. Yeah. So, you know, there are various, uh, you know, ways that we can help the homeless as well. But what would you say are the best ways to support those that are, you know, currently homeless? Well, I think the thing is that um, it's a tricky one. As you walk past someone in the street, yeah. giving giving someone money hmm. is probably the wrong. I, I'm I'm of a, of a view that some of the some of the people you see in the streets hmm. are there for um for, for you know for substance abuse yeah. or they're actually begging and they're not maybe they're not homeless mm. so I think money is not maybe not always the best answer you yeah. better to give the money to a, a, a charity if that's really mm. what you want to do mm. some bungos or humanity first we yeah. will help homeless people around the world and, and you can help fund our work through that but mm. you know giving actual cash to, mm. to some of the people is in my view and mm. I mean that's a personal respect as well yeah. You know, you could buy them a sandwich, you could buy them mm. a hot tea. Uh, certainly I've done that in the past, but yeah. there, there is a, you know, it's a very tricky one to walk past someone in, in difficulty, but actually, you know, what is the right plan? Mm. And that's where you've got to think about the whole picture, in my view. Yeah. Uh, could you tell us about some of the projects that Humanity First has uh, been involved in in the past, you know, for people who, are, who don't have access to food and shelter? Yeah, so if you look at, um, I mean, for us, France, for example, has been giving blankets and soup and uh, and many times uh, in, in other parts of the world, Canada run food banks. So we're an international organization mm. and we serve mankind. The the, 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 the clique of the time has given us that instruction to yeah. serve where people are, uh, you know, where there's need, go mm. and help them, you know, mm. dry their eyes and, and help them. So. But obviously, we're a small organisation mm. with, with limited budget and limited volunteer base. So, but what we have done, we, we, you know, we have made efforts across the world to help homeless people. And like I say, those examples where we supported Sadiq Khan's homeless campaign a few yeah. years ago yeah. by providing some services, uh, some sort of. But using our expertise, we've got an experts in, in medical, and so so it's natural for us to try and facilitate that. But we even had, uh, you know. Uh, we had a homeless hairdresser, for example. You know, mm. one of our, our volunteers was a hairdresser. So yeah. it's little things like that. Mm. So, as you mentioned, that your expertise is uh, in medical um, and the conflict that's going on in Gaza uh, right now, did the Humanity First contribute in that sense over there? Yeah, unfortunately, I think if, when you speak to Dr. Aziz, he's very clear on this. Mm. Gaza is a war zone. Mm. So the, even the UN and the, uh, and the World Health Organization, they can't help mm. because it's a war zone. So until war stops, when war stops, 
then normalization can happen. And yeah. we have a partner, Anira and, and MAP, the Medical Aid for Palestine. We've been mm. working with these people for, for many years. It's mm. not just a now incident. We've, we've helped in, 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 over the years in places like Palestine, Gaza and stuff like that. So the problem is in a war zone, right at this moment, mm. people can't function. As you mm. see, volu- uh, you know, a- agency people that are stuck there are getting killed. Yeah. So until that, until that is resolved, uh, a ceasefire is, uh, is enabled and normality can start to tickle back into that environment, mm. uh, you know, we can't do it. But if, you look to, if we look at homeless people who are made homeless in Morocco earthquake, Morocco, mm. Turkey, Syria, mm. these are places where Humanity First was able to go in, help with the medical side, and then look to build with our local partners and our local communities to mm. help you know where we can with the with the with the finite resources we have but as you know humanity first has an amazing return on capital i.e a pound spent with us goes way further because we don't have directorships of of um, well-paid staff mm-hmm. you know we really really run a very lean operation so when you give to medicine sans frontiere or opsfam or save the children or some mungo they're all great charities and fabulous, mm. but they do have big staff running. You know, um, their CEO is going to be on good money. You mm. know, their directorships that they all pays up. Whereas if you look at Humanity First, very very few paid staff. So that's the that's the beauty of Humanity First. We are very lean. Mm. Yeah. So is there any uh, you know final message that you would like to leave uh, for our listeners before you know we we do let you go? Well, I mean, uh, everyone could be that change. Yeah. All of our Voice of Islam listeners, I always appeal to them when I come on as Human Actor First to say, you know, you can either give money or you can give your time. And we definitely, we set up food banks to help homeless people. So in Mirfield and Warsaw, it's only through the the, the, the local community, the Amity Muslim Association, have been absolutely magic hmm. in helping and building up the uh, those food banks. So yeah. that's one option. If you're a listener out there and you're desperate, how can I help? Well, actually, you know, you can. Hmm. We're always looking for new initiatives. So hmm. we need to talk to any people with time and energy and enthusiasm to come and help us and, and build buildings. So there's an appeal for money, but also appeal for, you know, enthusiastic volunteers. Hmm. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. It's been an absolute pleasure. For now, take care. Good morning and assalamu alaikum warahmatullah. So that was Mr. Chris Edwards, you know, part of the Humanity First Charity, uh, International Humanity First Charity, doing great work out there. Uh, we do have a very brief audio clip uh, of uh, His Holiness uh, in regards to this, so let's listen to that one. You see, Allah Ta'ala has made this world. That is what we believe. And he is all merciful. He is the provider and sustainer of his creation. He says in the Holy Quran that he is the one who provides food to the animals and to you as well. So there is a potential here in this world to grow more food for the people, for his creation, whoever needs food. If we are disturbing the balance by cutting the trees, climate change, and carbon emission, and so many other things, and we are not taking the remedial measures to correct whatever we have done to imbalance the, our world, then it is not Allah's fault. In Africa, there is a vast land which can be utilized for producing food for the world. There is a vast land in America even, in South North America, South America, in Asia. If proper plan is made, and uh, if we love each other, 
if we love our creator and discharge our duty we owe towards each other his creation then there can be a consolidated plan and program to grow more food we shall try not to let any person die of hunger but here what is happening that if we have excess food we throw it into the sea we waste our dairy product we waste our agricultural produce instead of giving to the hunger stricken people in third world countries so this is the, our lack of interest in helping the people of the world if the rich countries rich people are discharging their duties and giving their due rights to the deprived people this is islamic teaching is to show sympathy to others and feed others islam doesn't say that there should be socialism what it says that you must be careful in providing food to every person to your neighbor islam says you, that your neighbor has the right and the definition of the labor is it can extend up to the 40 houses and neighbors are those who are working with you not only the neighbors living in your area or vicinity but the laborers who are working in your field in your workplaces in your factories the neighbors are those who are traveling with you right so in this way you can have a very wide range of neighbors and if you are taking care of all your neighbors then this is how you can save the world not only providing food but also can create peace So, dear listener, we hope you've been enjoying today's show so far. We are coming to a conclude uh, a conclusion of today's show. Um, it's been a, an absolute pleasure, you know, presenting here on the Voice of Islam Studio. As always, um, like to just thank the, you know, my um, fellow presenter, my um, brother Abdul Halim, and uh, the technical department, uh, brother Akib, and um, the uh, lead producer Hania. the researchers kashif noura maria zanab jazaba sara noura and um, you know thank our guests for tuning in and uh, helping us with their expertise um so don't go anywhere uh, you know um, and do join us uh, for other shows uh, for now take care assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh